2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. This really is about one man, isn't it? It doesn't matter if he's the greatest ever, but what a moment at 35 years old to turn and slow down and speed up and beat Josco Gvardiol, one of the players at the tournament, about 10 times before putting it on a plate for Julian Alvarez to score the goal that put the semi-final beyond doubt. Before that, Lionel Messi had scored a penalty. He'd been good, but he hadn't got us on our feet. But then he did because he's special. Argentina's first two came very close together, and possibly against the run of play, Croatia were neat and tidy, until they weren't their own kind of messy, and untidy, contributing to their own downfall. Perhaps, yes, I know you want me to say it, they were finally tired in a World Cup semi-final. Just not the right one. Also today, we'll look ahead to tomorrow's semi, ask if it's okay for England's manager to be a foreigner. We'll talk about footballs in space, Christmas songs, answer your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. on the panel today Barry Denning, welcome hello uh, hello John Bruin hello Max hello Nikki Bandini oh
3: yeah
2: and uh, live from uh, the stadium Marcella Mora Jaraujo hey Marcella hello Matt says I'm shortly going on holiday to Argentina due to arrive in Buenos Aires on Sunday morning does Marcella know if the final will be on anywhere at all I uh, think it's going to be
0: very really <laughs> hard to find anyone showing the game because you know there's other stuff going on in the world.
2: How do you feel?
0: Well, it's a really exciting moment. It feels really historic. And um, I have to say the build-up has been so emotional, full of turmoil and fear that today it's become... When I, when I arrived at the stadium, I bumped into a very old colleague from Argentina and he, and he just shrugged his shoulders and said, we're going to win the World Cup. And I, th- and I suddenly thought... Oh, so we are. And it just now feels like everything's gone to plan. I have to say the first 20 minutes of the game, it felt like some kind of weird through the looking glass effect had happened. And Croatia were doing all the things that we thought Argentina would be doing. And they were, they looked comfortable and enjoying the ball and all those things. And Argentina looked like they, they weren't in control. But then things turned around and I'm really, really delighted for Julian Alvarez, who regular listeners might know someone whose praises I've been singing for some time. And I do think Messi did those little bits of magic that he can do. Even when he boils an egg, he shows them. But today he showed extraordinary, extraordinary bits of skill. And it is amazing to be here, I have to say. Um, I mean, I... I kind of thought it'd be nicer to be in Argentina and I hope to be there for the final and flying back. But it's just been an extraordinary, um, extraordinary vibe.
2: What was the moment like in the ground when Messi went round Guardiola about 100 times and set up Alvarez?
0: It's, I mean, the ground's been chanting uh, throughout. The You know, oohs and ahs have been palpable. But the press stands are a little bit sheltered. And we have screens and the, the the actually the Argentinian press bit that I'm in didn't go wild and mad. So we're all just kind of quite contained. I, I think there's no doubt Messi had his best game yet this tournament and possibly his best tournament yet. And he looked just so, so delighted throughout. It. Whenever the cameras close up, he's smiling. And there was a sort of real kind of, Mm, I've done it, uh, expression to his face at the end of the game. I think Julian Alvarez is, is, the, is going to be the hero of the night for a lot of uh, Argentinian fans, especially the younger ones, because he is really the you know the, the guy they know and love. And, um, and then the, the moment that was a little bit of a kind of weird sad, and quiet, and almost imperceptible with, was when Luka Modric walked off and just, you know, suddenly he was substituted and he quietly walked off. And I thought, oh, that's, that's how a great one exits. It
2: feels a long time since you lost to Saudi Arabia, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> I've completely lost track of tar- any sense of time. <laughs> I don't know what day it is, where we are. Yes, it does. But it also doesn't feel like it's in, unthinkable that that could happen again. I mean I wouldn't I, as I say, we start you know the first half of this game or the first 20 minutes or so, Argentina weren't completely dominant and in control, and I think you know Croatia were a delight to watch actually they were they were passing, they were in charge, they were doing. They looked like they were enjoying it and playing, and um, and, it, and therefore it didn't feel like so long ago that we lost to. Sorry, just letting a colleague go through. How do we feel about journalists wearing little strips? Of the country.
2: Oh, you can do what you like, I reckon.
0: Uh, but it does feel like a very long time since this game started. For example, <laughs> yeah. and it didn't even and it didn't even go on that much longer than ninety minutes.
2: It didn't. Well, listen, Marcelo, we'll let you go and look, good luck with you. Have a safe flight back to Buenos Aires and we'd love to chat to you after the final.
0: Excellent. Thank you.
2: Marcelo Mora Araujo there, uh, who will uh, be enjoying the celebrations because uh, Argentina are in the final. There was a moment, Nicky, where Messi like held his hamstring, wasn't there, like in the first half? And it was a bit was like Kaiser Sose. You were like, is, is is he done or is he going to do something utterly amazing? you know in, in the second half and that's what he did
3: I feel like you've thrown to me with the usual suspects reference I'm totally unqualified to to take and and run with so I, I can't pick up on that but um I, I don't know Max he's he's extraordinary isn't he I, I think that sort of moment with with um with the hamstring yeah I mean it's sort of been all through this tournament these sort of moments of him sort of strolling and limping and perhaps looking like what he is, which is someone who's in his mid-30s, which is not old in the real world, but in in top-level professional football is, is getting on a bit. Contrast that with that um, the assist on the final goal, the, 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 I don't know what to describe it as it wasn't a tussling with Guardiola. It was, it was sort of a, a running rings around Guardiola. It was turning Guardiola into a pretzel. Guardiola was right there with him. One of the players we've celebrated the most this tournament. And I actually thought to myself, is this one game going to undermine some transfer business for, for RB Leipzig with Guardiola? And, um, and Volivakovich as well, these two players who've been sort of lauded for how well they have played in this tournament, suddenly being reminded that when you're confronted with real brilliance, it's still a different game for you. And 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 Messi, the accelerations, that sort of I don't know what it is. It's it's the way he has the ball all through that run, all through that that move to, to be Vario. He has the ball about it feels like two centimetres away from his opponent. Like he's not holding the ball at arm's length. He's not holding the ball somewhere where it feels like it should be out of the defender's reach. He's doing it right, right next to him. But without ever giving a hint that he's going to give it away, he's always got the control of that dynamic. He's always got um, the the step on him. And, and when he wants to accelerate, despite being a completely sort of, the, a different stage of his career and a late stage of his career, always just is that that bit quicker than him. I. I get it. every time I'm coming on Max because um, I've done all these Argentina games. I'm I'm just raving about him. But what else are you supposed to do? He's he's I mean he's the greatest footballer I've ever seen in my lifetime. That's that's my opinion as as someone who's observed football.
2: There was a wonderful line Barry from Ali McCoist. I think it was in a earlier in the game where Messi was sort of surrounded by players, and uh, he said, "I thought he'd need to throw a double six to get out of that." Uh, which is a brilliant line. And I I suppose, I remember interviewing Willy Sagnol, right, the former France right-back about Zidane. And he just said, look, it was a different game for Zidane. And it is ridiculous when you think about these are the elite of the elite. And there's someone on that pitch who is so ridiculously good, it's different for, like, it's different for him compared to absolute elite footballers all around him.
4: Yeah, it's it's like how I feel regularly on this podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm operating on a completely <laughs> higher level to everyone else. And I don't like to boast about it, obviously, but it's, I feel now is as good a time as any to, to point it out. Yeah, it's funny. I, I do think at points in this tournament, Messi has been overpraised for doing stuff that If other players had done it, they wouldn't be praised as much, anywhere near as much. But tonight he he was really special. Um, And that moment where he twisted Guardiola's blood was... I felt sorry for Guardiola, actually, because he's had a great tournament and now he'll be on the the end of tournament montage and that's what we'll see. That will be his contribution. But, yeah, he, he was on a different level tonight. I, I'm not sure he should have been on the pitch at that point. I mean, if if he's even vaguely concerned about his hammy, and you're two 0 up, get him off the field, gonna wrap him up in in a blanket. Um, but he he was outstanding tonight. I mean, the one thing he has done in this tournament that did merit all the praise was obviously that pass in the last game that no look, uh, defence splitting through, weighted through ball. But um, yeah, he has been overpraised at times in this tournament for stuff that, by his own standards, are skills are quite mundane. But but tonight he was just outstanding, and you presume now that you know he's got they've got to the final. If if they don't win, it will be his fault. <laughs> this is his chance, you know, and probably his
2: last one. I mean, it was a strange, as Marcella said, Croatia, I thought, until Argentina got that pen and scored, and then just scored another one straight away. I thought Croatia were the better team.
5: Yeah, they were. But I suppose what you would say is that um, they in in dominating possession. And yeah, for those first 20 minutes or so, you looked at... Uh, I think it would be Modric that would be writing the, the headlines of the papers the next day. Because there was one sequence where he just goes past... Um, three or four players, just holds them off with such power. Remember, this is a 37-year-old guy, let alone a 35-year-old. But then they came apart a little bit. I I had to look this guy up. uh, Jan Olsen. Now, do you know who Jan Olsen is? Jan Olsen is the guy who had the Cruyff turn done on him. Right, okay. In 1974, the Swedish defender. And I think Guardiola, poor lad, is going to have that against his name, that sort of rope-a-dope that Messi essentially you know, rearranges insides with. Um, and yeah, it's unfortunate because as we went into this game and the previews, you talk about how well everyone's played and maybe they could... Uh, we talked about how uh, they didn't have a Mandzukic but were still very capable, and very dangerous. But I think in this game that they missed... Uh, having a, a striker a, a point of focus, uh, so that it was that they had to try and pass the ball in midfield, find a way through what actually is a much-improved Argentinian defence after, well, the Saudi Arabia game. Um, and it's just a game too far for Croatia. I, I think, funny enough, when Modric went off, do you think he was being saved for the third-place game? Because, <laughs> no, you'd laugh at that, but... For a t- a country like Croatia, like Bulga- like Bulgaria back in uh, nineteen ninety four, like the Netherlands. Uh, okay, it's slightly different because they had to go to extra time against Argentina. The third place means a lot. If you if you if you are Croatia and you're a small country, and I think this is their seventh World Cup tournament that they've competed for, two third places and a second place. Well, that is national pride, isn't it? And um, they deserve all the praise they will receive. It just wasn't their night. Um, uh, commiserations to them. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, as Marcella said, um, seeing Modric go off, you know, you are reminded that another uh, modern great was leaving the field as well.
3: There was definitely a point in the first half where Modric ran like half the pitch to go win a header in his own box. You thought yourself, he doesn't flipping look tired, does he? <laughs>
2: no. Um, how, how much... Uh, Nicky, do you want to debate about whether that was a a penalty or not? I mean, the most the best bit of that penalty was the fact the referee was literally stood on the penalty spot, so he had to point basically directly down, like vertically down, to say it was a penalty. Um, I mean, there was there was there was a row between Gary Neville, Ian Wright, Roy Keane on one side, and. Peter Walton on the other about whether it was a penalty. Paul says, is it a surprise that the person who's come out of this game with the most credit is Peter Walton? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I thought it was obviously a penalty, um, but but others didn't. And we've had quite a few questions saying it, it, it shouldn't have been. We don't have to debate it for hours, but I'm, I'm interested to know what you think.
3: Yeah, I, I think I fall in the same spot you do, Max. You can't obstruct someone in the penalty area. You just can't. And I, what I found so extraordinary about that halftime segment, beyond the fact that they all just completely ignored the one person who's got officiating qualifications... As he,
5: though? And said, well, has that's- he? <laughs> <laughs> it is the first time I think I've agreed with <laughs> him. I mean, I mean yeah. this, this is a guy that has agreed with every refereeing decision ever <laughs> given. <laughs> and, and we know that not every refereeing decision ever given is correct. Like, this guy agrees with everything until proven wrong um uh, sorry to cut across you Nikki I just think Roy Keane said it wasn't a penalty and the other two just went along with him that's that's why we got to
3: I just I just honestly like whichever side you fall on it like to me you you just can't obstruct someone in the penalty area you can't and and that's how it is but um to me the thing that I kept thinking was all right whether or not you fall yes or no who, honestly, if it was their team attacking that situation, wouldn't be calling for a penalty? So this idea that the whole studio was like, no, no way, not a penalty. You thought, hang on a second. Anyone whose team that was would think that was a penalty.
2: thing was, Barry, in that moment, I was like, I think Croatia should have had a corner just before that penalty. Perisic hit the ball and it, it clipped an Argentinian. I was like, that is quite that is a, an England fine margin. And then Croatia got another corner and
4: Argentina scored literally straight away. So I
2: was like, well, perhaps it wouldn't have made any difference.
4: Yeah I I don't know whether it should have been a penalty or not. I you are allowed to stand your ground and if an opposition player runs into you that is not a foul. But did he stand his ground? He kind of moved. He he stuck a leg out so I'm I'm going to go with Peter Walton on this. T- but I I would be very loath to promote the infallibility of Walton. <laughs> I mean he, he's got some stuff horribly wrong on the past as a ref and as a supposed expert in the studio in his little referee bunker. Um, But I I think he's probably right on this one. As it turned out, it didn't make any difference because Argentina were by far and away the better team. Yeah. I think
2: understanding your ground thing, I think, there's obviously a point where you stop. And if it's like a millisecond before the guy, well then like like at what point do you decide I've I've have i I'm now standing still, so you've run into me. I don't know. But the second goal, John, was interesting, wasn't it? Batches, what's the most schoolyard goal in a semi-final? Is it Julian Alvarez's first goal? I, I um I actually, it reminded me of Speedball 2, where you just basically just run and just <laughs> knock people over in your way and just keep. But it, it was funny with all these Croatians just trying to hack at the ball and not getting it and thinking, this is a silly goal for a World Cup semi final.
5: It, it's been a long time since I've played on a, a computer game. It reminded me of John Madden from the early 90s <laughs> or something, just hurdling and. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, 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 Julian Alvarez, or Julian as uh, uh, Marcelo calls him. Um, What a talent, really. Uh, And uh, a very cool finish at the end of that. And um, perhaps this is a little unfair, but you see him after celebrating with his little teenage acne as well. And you just think, this guy uh, has got the world at his feet. I mean, he's already been South American Player of the Year. Um, OK, listen, no one can expect him to reach Messi standards, but he is already there and he's already playing at Manchester City. And he's been crucial. And the thing is, uh, having him around has eased the burden on Messi, um, and having those those players, those buzzing bees around him like Alvarez, has been crucial. I think to to Argentina's success, um, good finish. Um, but again, we come back to Croatia. But uh, aside from Morocco, the best defensive team in the World Cup, um, not there, not there.
2: No, I tell you who else has been good, Nick. And we had a tweet from a a Brighton fan normally the messages we get from Brighton fans are you haven't talked enough about Brighton but it was um, a Brighton fan saying it's unbelievable and I think this must have been maybe before the quarterfinal that we have a Brighton player playing in a World Cup quarterfinal now we have a Brighton player playing in the World Cup final and and Alexis McAllister had a, another really good game didn't he?
3: Yeah I, I do want to sort of quickly pick up on on Alvarez before we move on from that just because like um, I, I, I obviously in the end this story if, especially if they go on to win it is going to be Messi's story he's already going going to be I think playing in the World Cup final is now going to be the player with the most World Cup appearances I think Messi so it's going to be all about him but the fact is that since Alvarez came into this team they've been markedly better he, he didn't start the first two games that's the game they lost and then the Mexico game where they they were not impressive particularly even though they won since he's come in they have been a much much better team and I think that's you know, it's not by by accident. And and yes, on the goal it was it was chaos. It's funny the two comparisons you pulled up, Speedball and and John saying and John Madden football game, because I felt like in my head it was like it was almost like an NFL kickoff return, where is exactly what John was thinking. So it's funny those those comparisons. But at the same time, um I, there was more to that goal going on. I think Molina's run and Molina's sort of of course the same player who was the recipient of that ridiculous messy person last round. So this team has got better through the tournament. It's got better in lots of different ways. And I I do think that Alvarez coming in and becoming a starter is one of the very significant ways in which it's got better through the tournament. Um, but yes, to, to to get to your question, Macasta, um, also really, really impressive game. I thought there were a lot of impressive performances through the team. The midfield, you know, I've been spending the last few days talking about how great Croatia's midfield is, how no one has a midfield three that can match Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic at this tournament perhaps. And yeah, I, I thought the the Argentinian midfield after that sort of initial stage of the game where perhaps it looked like they were not quite getting a handle on things, they, they really grew into it.
2: Because it wasn't tight and close, I thought if Croatia got one back and I thought they might actually, then I thought we were about to see, you know, the sort of S-Housery explode and it, and it never quite happened. Um, on, on the subject of Croatia, Barry, what for Zen says, if the Croatian narrative is like one more heist movie, as Barry suggests, is this game like the montage of Goodfellas? Will we find Ivan Perisic frozen in a meat truck? <laughs> 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 like, I mean, I, we, we've touched on it and we've touched on it about Croatia before, but it is extraordinary. Their, you know, tournament record is ridiculous.
4: And like to get this far is ridiculous again for such a small country. So just to be clear, did you just field a question from a listener about us not giving Alexis McAllister enough credit and then proceed to not mention Alexis McAllister and move, <laughs> move on to Croatia. No, no, and we did t- I Ivan Perisic and his wife driving around in a pink Cadillac.
2: <laughs> no,
4: Ivan Perisic is in a meat truck. He's got he's done for. No isn't but he? the guy who drove around in the pink Cadillac, that's why he ended up in the meat oh, truck.
2: I see. I see. His Much ostentatious
4: like show of wealth.
2: Right, I see. Just like Nicky didn't get the usual suspect reference. I didn't get this reference. I just found it a funny question um you can listen Barry if you want to talk about Alexis McAllister you can if you want to talk about Croatia you can you have free reign as you are the man who carries this podcast you can take it in whatever way you're the Lionel Messi you can take it in whatever direction you like we're just here to to knock people out the way and just give you the
5: chance
4: (laughs) to shine I transcend this podcast Mac well look Alexis McAllister has had a fine tournament and there's a brilliant Interview on the Guardian website at the moment, which Sid conducted with his dad, uh, and I think two brothers who were also footballers in Argentina. Um, one of them plays for I think Rosario, and I can't remember who the are. But you know, they're they're in Doha having a fine old time. I don't know if anyone has seen the there's a football card or a Panini sticker of McAllister Senior doing the rounds, which. Jack Pitbrook <laughs> said he looks like a guy who ended up at Boca Juniors after making 350 appearances for Hibs. He <laughs>
5: <Yeah. laughs> looks like Alex McLeish, I think. Yeah, yeah. McAllister Mac- Senior, yeah.
4: He's kind of like receding hairline, ginger hair, what's left <laughs> of it. He, he, he doesn't look like your typical sort of swarthy Argentinian hatchet man. But anyway.
5: I was thinking which Brighton players have been in the World Cup final. I was thinking Steve, Steve Foster did make it, did he? Or No. Or, or, I think a, a so. Tony Grealish. Um, <laughs> Bobby Zamora never quite made it. No. no. <laughs> never quite made it, no.
2: I was just wanting you to give Barry a
4: tiny bit of credit to
2: Croatia for getting this far, but maybe we've already done that.
5: Uh, yeah,
4: look, they're they're terrific. Um, and, you know, the, your your tired old joke about them being tired, it's, I think it came to pass. They, yeah. they just they just we can... weren't good enough. I was sort of worried about, you know, how we'd, because we only have one game to talk about how we'd fill the best part of an hour because it was such a straightforward win for Argentina, Croatia, they had one, I think, one good chance for Dan Lovren sort of didn't head the ball quite hard enough, and that was it really. That was that two nil down. I think that could have, if that had gone in, it might have been a different story, but it didn't. No, that was three nil. I think. Oh, was it
2: okay? Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, maybe I'll retire that joke. I don't like to hammer a joke, so good to good to let that one, good to let that one go. Uh, Barney tweeting uh, the. The I like to move it, move it guy is performing at half time. He's not lost the fire. Incredible consistency for whoever books the entertainment in Doha. I mean, literally, they just have a copy of Now 23, don't they? Real to Real today. Are you happy with that one, John?
5: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I quite like that record, yeah. Is that one with the Mad Stump Man, I think, is the, the, the reggae toaster that does that one. Um, um,
2: I can't. I mean, I I thought it was Inny Kamozzi, but he did. He's no, he's a hot
5: stepper. I mean, sure, that, I mean surely they that'll been be there on. for the final. Yeah, surely Ini Kamozi Inny in a circle. <laughs> Um, Culture Beat have got have had a turn out there, haven't they? I would have thought so. Yeah. And and, where's Hadaway? I mean, come on, Hadaway.
2: Maybe, maybe Hadaway will get the final. You know, surely this is like as big a debate as which referee gets the final, which '90s (laughs) Euro pop act gets the final. We'll find out. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, In part two, we'll look ahead to France, Morocco.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
2: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So France versus Morocco. Uh, Daya Upamecano uh, and Adrian Rabiot are doubtful. So France will definitely go through. Now that is harsh on Rabiot, isn't it? Rabiot's been excellent, hasn't he? Um, Upamecano has a sore throat. Come on. (laughs) Sorry, I don't want to sound like a proper football man. (laughs) Surely for a World Cup semi-final, you've got to have a strepsil, haven't you, son? (laughs) And just get on with it. Uh, uh, Morocco coach says he'll wait until the last minute to assess his several injury doubts, which is sort of the whole back four, isn't it? Apart from... Hakimi, uh, how how do we see it,
4: Barry? I I think France will win. Um, I don't care how long uh, the Morocco manager waits. I I think they're going to be missing minimum three key players. I said it yesterday or the day before. I hope they go through, but I don't think they will. Yeah, oh, you know,
2: just just when that when on ITV they flashed up France v Morocco, and I just thought, oh. And just when Messi scored that penalty, I thought, why didn't Kane score that penalty? I know I shouldn't be thinking in those terms, but really, just thinking in those terms, going, God, this is. I, I I I sort of agree with Barry, um, John, and I. And I don't know if we're remiss to do it, but I just think France. I actually think France really should win this tournament. Do you? Pr- not easily. Yeah, I do. I do. I I I I don't think I don't think Argentina are great yet. I really don't. But I'm. You know, maybe I'm completely wrong.
5: No, um, I, I was chatting to a journalist out there. I'll name him, a friend of the show, Miguel Delaney. He says he thinks that um, France will score early, and that will be that. And Miguel is always absolute in these predictions, so, uh, and I, I, I wouldn't dismiss that. Um, Morocco have shown such remarkable fighting qualities, um, and also, okay, th- th- those are high quality players that they would be missing in defence. But it almost feels like there's such an ethic there, there's such a team ethic there that they're going to fight for everything, um, and and they have done. And whichever players have come in, and actually, of, of all the teams in the the tournament, uh, the substitutions have always been quite decent, I think, from Morocco. Mm. Um, now, our friend, and actually,
2: they've been prepared to take off Ziyech. and yeah, absolutely, and, yeah, and, and and Hakimi, haven't yeah, really? we've
5: had our, our friend Shadira, who uh, you know. I've really enjoyed. I think he might be suspended for this one. He is suspended. Yeah, which is a real shame because actually, I mean, we could all laugh about his finishing, but he's really added a dimension when he's come on. So, yeah, it's sad, isn't it, that they've had such a great tournament that you think they might be running out of legs. Um, One last push. I'm going to say it again, actually. Uh, If Morocco got third place from this World Cup, they would celebrate wildly across that country. Um, I think morocco are actually the story of the tournament setting aside the messy narrative and all that i think they've been great um it, they, they've reminded us that there isn't just one way to win a game and that tournament football is about belief organization all the rest of it um but i hope they get it done i, I just wouldn't be so confident yeah
2: i think i um, i agree with you on that nikki
3: yeah it's, it's hard to disagree with what's already been said like if you go player for player through these teams and taking into account what's just happened to that Moroccan defence, you're missing three quarters of your start. Okay. Hakimi is probably the most important one. So maybe you've got the most important one, but you're still missing three out of four potentially. And you're going up against Mbappe, Griezmann, Dembele, Giroud, all having brilliant tournaments. On paper, this is a foregone conclusion. I'm I'm sorry, on paper it is. Now, the thing I would say is that Morocco have consistently defied what we've expected at this tournament. And I think if you'd said on paper before the last round, which centre, well, which forward would you imagine leaping six foot high in the air to win a head that sends them through? Would you have guessed it was El Nasseri or would you have guessed it was Ronaldo who's done that through his career even though he wasn't having a great tournament? Of course you would have picked Ronaldo. So look... Anything can happen in this tournament, it feels like, and and certainly with this Morocco team. But being practical about it on on just what we can say in terms of analysis, it's the players are not at the same level. And so you expect France to go through.
2: Elsewhere, Portugal want to hire Jose Mourinho to replace Fernando Santos, who's close to stepping down, uh, as reported by Portuguese outlet, A Bola. uh, Mourinho's is interested in the role. Uh, he could potentially do Roma and Portugal simultaneously. Is that a good idea, Nicky? I mean, I would. Mourinho at a World Cup. Let's face it, would be absolutely box office, wouldn't it? I I think he should be the next England manager. Oh mate, <laughs> oh no, that's not the.
4: And uh... I, I cannot stand the man. I think he would
2: be brilliant. Do you not think it would be something? It, it, would, it would. It would. It would. go in the, It would be one in the eye for the the sort of St George's Park ethos, wouldn't it?
5: <laughs> It would. He'd, he'd want that place torn down. Imagine, <laughs> so, do, do you think Do you think he would move to a hotel near St. George's Park?
2: <laughs> burn on Trent.
5: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just in the travel lodge like he did in Manchester. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. It would annoy a lot of people, so maybe that's what Barry's looking for.
4: It would annoy me, but I <laughs> think he would do. Now, I know it's going against the, the party line to, to even suggest that Gareth Southgate might be in any way flawed. At all, But I just think Jose Mourinho would get so much more out of that team. He would leave and they would be riven by division and rancour and it might take years to recover. And you could always get Southgate back in to do that. But I think while he's there, there's a very, very good chance they would actually win a tournament. I don't
2: think you have all the vested interests. There's a reason why you're not the chairman of the FA, I, Barry. I, um, I, I, I always <laughs>
5: used to like the fact that... Um, Jose Mourinho used to refer to Gareth Southgate as Gary. That used to
2: <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, Nikki, for Portugal, which is a which is what is actually being suggested. Um what do you think about that job, that job share?
3: Um, I'd be fascinated to see how that would go down in Rome because I think that what has sort of been really strongly the dynamic for him in Rome and the reason that he's so loved in Rome is because the fans feel like whether the football is perfect or not, whether the team is perfect or not, the one thing they wanted was a manager who was as committed as they are. And that's the story that Jose has managed to persuade them of. I am here and I am all in if you're all in. And that means we're all in together and we're going to give everything we have to this. That's the narrative. That's the story, the the mythology that's built up around this team. And if you're doing the Portugal job at the same time, I don't know how you continue to convince people that you're all in and your focus is all here surely your focus is going to be split and divided and I, I don't know how that would how that would sell um in Rome but I also think that Jose Mourinho and his career has in the end always done the things that he wants to do and that's fair enough everyone has the right to do that in their career so I uh, I can quite imagine that one coming to pass if he thinks this is the moment that he wants to do
5: it Nicky is driving at the fact that I think from early on in his career, or the time that we've known him since he was at Porto, he's always talked about that he would become the national manager in in a confident way that I don't think anyone, any other manager, would ever talk like that. That one day I will become our national manager. Can you imagine an Englishman doing that? It it, it just, it's just the the Mourinho. Did didn't Big Sam do it? And he was right. (laughs) He was right.
2: For a while. <laughs> 100% record, hasn't he? Who scored that? What game was that? Adam Lallana with a last-minute win. Ad-
5: Adam Lallana against Slovakia, yeah. I mean, that is, that's that's the great turning point in in, in English football history, that game. But it, it, it's Mourinho has always had this idea of like, his career being planned out. And that includes being manager. And sometimes it hasn't worked out. But that also includes, at one point, he wanted to be manager of Barcelona. Uh, he also he always thought it was his destiny to succeed Alex Ferguson. That didn't quite happen in the way that he wanted it to. It happened a bit further down the line. But he's always had that idea that he's in control of his destiny and, and to manage Portugal. And manage Portugal now because actually if you think about it, that's a good Portuguese team now that we think the Ronaldo problem is probably going to move on. Um, I, I suggest that Ronaldo will receive some form of this is I don't know this for a fact, but some sort of ceremonial game to take him over to 200 caps or whatever it is and then wave him off and then we start again and you start with uh, Gonzalo Ramos up front or whatever and, and Jose Mourinho works with something approaching a clean slate because I think who would want to manage uh, Portugal with Ronaldo? Now, I don't want to beat up on Ronaldo or anything like that, but it's been a problem for... We've managed us recently, and, and I do think that um, Mourinho could be the guy that that takes that job.
2: It'd be fun to watch him somehow blame the board for not not giving you enough money to get good players in or something, you know? Like, like
5: <laughs> come on. blame the Portuguese, cunt.
2: blame everyone for not having enough kids.
4: That's what we do.
5: Yeah, maybe you might want Ronaldo around after all to blame him. That's I, I, I.
4: he'd go to the Euros, but he'd only name a
5: twenty-man squad <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll ask uh, um, if your uh, international manager is allowed to be a foreigner.
1: Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE.
2: Welcome to part three of Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, obviously, people talking about Gareth Southgate and whether he'll stay or whether he won't. Um, there's been a relatively interesting debate. I think Mark Langdon actually said it uh, yesterday on the pod or, or whenever we did that semi-final preview, saying you know he thinks that the England manager should be English. Sam Wallace of the Telegraph uh, wrote that the England manager England manager has to be English. That's the whole point of international football. Um, The FA using its wealth to sign a big overseas coach is a form of cheating. Rory Smith, this is exactly right. Cheating, exactly the right word. International football is a test of the relative strength of a country's football culture. If you can't produce managers, that's your problem to sort out. Um, Jamie Carragher said the England manager should always be English. Chris Sutton said it should be the best person for the job, regardless of what nationality they are. Richard Keyes accused Jamie Carragher of bordering on racism. Of course he did. Uh, saying the English coach should be the best person available. England should not hide behind closed borders and mines, he said. To which Jamie Carragher said, I hope you send similar tweets to a lot of journalists who have the same opinion, or is it because I work for Sky? You are a sad desperate man. I love the blog. P.S. P.S. love the blogs, he says. Um, Serena of won the Euros with England, um, and everyone was happy about that. Jack Charlton did a pretty good job with the Republic of Ireland. No one seemed to mind about that. I don't think
4: I'm exercised massively either way. Barry, I don't know how you feel. I can certainly see the point of everyone who says that the manager of a team should be from uh, that country. But nationality is becoming so fluid now these days. Um, you know, there are England players, I think, who weren't born in England Uh, There are certainly plenty of Irish players who weren't born in Ireland. Uh, The England, Gareth Southgate got this job having been England under-21 manager. The current England under-21 manager is an Irishman, or sorry, an Englishman who played football for Ireland. But If he was to make a similar step, would that be a problem? You know, Kevin Kilban is one of Ireland's most capped players. He grew up. An English born in England, reared in England, but very much considers himself Irish because of his family background. I will at some point have lived in England longer than I lived in Ireland. I very much consider myself Irish, but I have ties in England. I like England. I don't expect to be offered the manager's job. (laughs) But, you know, if, if I was and I took it, beyond the fact that I would be completely incompetent, would you have a problem <laughs> and trying, with
2: that? And, and trying, to, well, trying to lose, I think, would be my main problem. <laughs> yeah. Sitting in fear as you win the semi-final would be a real problem for me, being yeah. devastated yeah. afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose it does come down a little bit to sort of what's the point of countries. And actually, beyond sport, Nicky, I don't really think there's any, you know, I don't really care for borders massively. They don't seem to help much do they? Uh, You know, like (laughs) they don't seem to sort of make the world a better place, but I quite like them in a sporting context. So I kind of understand that. But then I really liked Owen Morgan playing cricket for England, you know, and, and I've must've supported a whole lot of, cheered a whole lot of South Africans playing cricket for England.
5: Robin Smith. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know? And, and so I, I don't, I don't know. I kind of understand.
5: When Sam and Rory were having that debate on Twitter earlier, I looked it up and um, you actually look, no team has won the World Cup with a, with a foreign manager, uh, except actually one of them, uh, Helmut Schoen in West Germany, uh, It was actually born in East Germany, of course they were split at the time, um, and I think two managers have gone close, have gone reached the final, uh, George Rayner for Sweden in 1958, Ernst Happel, Austrian, who managed the Dutch in 1978. So it's very much orthodoxy for the big teams to be managed by someone from their country. And it seems to be successful as well. England's uh, dalliance with foreign managers has not been successful. But there's this idea, isn't there, that developing nations appoint coaches from another country to, to move them along. Now, that's definitely happened with Jack Charlton and Ireland. You'd have to say Ireland were a developing football nation. And the argument made for England and Serena Viegman, well, I think it's fair to say that the English women's team needed development and being pushed on and that they needed an elite coach. Now, that wasn't Phil Neville um, and that wasn't the coaches they'd had before that. Um, and so Serena Viegman came in and developed that into a, into a winning team. England, does English football need developing further? I'm not sure about that. And, um, I wouldn't be a St. George's Park devotee or anything like that. But if you put a structure in place, you have to bring in someone that's going to work within that structure. And I'm not sure a foreign manager is going to want to live on Burton on Trent, but you know that's just me.
3: I guess the thing that's always in my head a bit is we did this when I was younger with the England men's team. We brought in Sven Gore and Ericsson. We brought in Fabio Capello, two managers with Excellent pedigree, two managers who've done excellent job in club football, and it didn't elevate things. Um, so I'm I'm not opposed to it on any sort of real grounds. And I think, of course, Serena winning the Euros was was magic, and um, wouldn't change that for the world. Um, but I think I'd want to know that. It's really been thought about beyond just what we did with hiring Capella, which was, oh, look, Fabio Capella is available and and therefore better. I don't think that's always true. And I I think there is something. I think there's at least something in um, the intangible part of it um, when we look at all these wins being won by managers who are, are, are from the countries that they're managing, which is that when you go away to a World Cup, you are in camp together if you're going to win it for a month or more. And you really need to sort of foster a dynamic that works. Now, exactly as Barry said at the start, nationality is really fluid. Um, it's not something that's, that's simple. And um, maybe it was Max at that start, and I'm worrying that makes the, the two of you up. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, I think it was Barry. We're very similar people.
3: Exactly. You just look the same, sound the same. What's, <laughs> what's to tell apart? Um, now Barry's lived in England almost as long as he lived in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um no but i mean he's
2: got a top hat on isn't he now yeah.
3: i grew up in england um i've lived most of my life in england and i've talked about it plenty of times on the podcast i my sporting allegiances with italy and that's something that i can't fully explain you know I, I i lack the talent to represent any country but if i had had a choice it would have been that um so sort of acknowledging the complication of that i think there is some value in the sort of unity that there can be in a camp of of really getting what your players' perspective on things are going to be. And I think living in a country certainly can give you some of that. Being from a family from a certain country can give you some of that. It's not necessary. It's not the only way you can get that. But I think it is a shared outlook is powerful and you can get that in a manager who's from abroad, especially a manager who's coached in the Premier League, I'm sure, who's been in the country longer, would have more of that. But I, I just would really want the appointment to be thought about from that regard, as well as just, oh, look, here's a foreign manager who's done well in club football, and and can they, um, assume, can we assume they can do that in international football?
2: Exciting time for a, a couple of the World Cup footballs. Um, and This is Doha News reporting. Uh, that's one small step for man, one giant kick for mankind Qatar Airways partnered with SpaceX to send two FIFA World Cup Al Rila footballs into space in a once in a lifetime opportunity I mean does a football I suppose a football does have a lifetime doesn't it when you think about the footballs that you had when you were little you know like you had a proper leather football like a Mito Delta it did have a life didn't it and it you know and when it and when it was sort of put out to pasture it was a sad Time, you know, it's that lost football's account where footballs are seen just, you know, yeah, just, just one... floating down canals. Yeah, you know, I
4: think it's the brother of the Guardian's Tom Lutz, who who mans the uh, sports, the American Bureau. I think that he runs that account, and I'm I'm sure just a forlorn football floating around outer space <laughs> would be that a kind of crown his his account. Really, you're not going to top Absolutely. that, are
2: you? So it's just some, you know, some guy on the International Space Station saying, "I saw this floating past at a zillion miles an hour or whatever." Uh, John has already done the Harry Kane joke on the WhatsApp group, so yeah, <laughs> yeah
5: I, I didn't think I'd bother cracking it. Did it, you so see? Obvious. Actually,
2: did you did you see before the game, before this semi final, that? they got Ian Wright to to put the Harry Kane penalty side by side and then showed you the difference in his body shape. Oh, it was heartbreaking. It was like, why have you done?
4: Don't do that to us. You just, oh. Oh, so
5: annoying, isn't it?
4: Have you seen that advert with uh, Johnny Wilkinson and Harry?
5: Yes. uh, That that didn't age particularly well, did
2: it?
4: it's, it's aged
2: very well in France, <laughs> Un, unsurprisingly.
5: We haven't actually had that much discussion of the ball. I remember back in 2010, that seemed to be...
2: The Jubilani. It to be mm.
5: a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they do seem to go flat yeah. quite a lot in this tournament, if you know. So maybe there's a sort of flat Casey, as we call him uh, up my way, floating around in the, the stratosphere. Possibly. Do you think uh, it went flat as yeah. Kane
2: struck it? I mean, I, I don't think that's an excuse. Um Anyway, I don't need to talk about it. Um, uh, RC says, "Will there be mention of Arsenal winning the treble after adding the Dubai Super Cup to the Emirates <laughs> Cup and the Florida Cup?" I'm just, I come on, I can't be that. They were playing in sort of the middle of the afternoon as well. I mean, it's is utterly ridiculous. Did they beat AC Milan. What not Arsenal playing AC Milan on the day of a World Cup semi-final? It's just utterly ridiculous.
5: But Ben White played though, didn't he? So, well, so Ben, nice ben White's in training, I believe. So oh, okay. that's, a good, that's good. That's news. good news. Yeah.
2: Finally, Dylan says, what's John's favourite rock-pop Christmas song? I don't know it's too early to ask that question. Maybe it isn't.
5: I'll tell you what's interesting, is, and I am thankful Gianni Infantino and the Emir of Qatar, because yep. I haven't heard a Christmas record this oh. year yet. So I'm very grateful to them, because I don't like Christmas records. But I was thinking over the ones yeah. that I liked. Here's the predictable ones. Uh, the Fall did a song called... I wish you a wish you a protein Christmas. They also did did a very faithful version of "Heart" the Herald Angels sing, which is very good on on the Peel Sessions. Oh, that's nice. Uh, But actual sort of Christmas tunes that I like. I don't mind McCartney's one. That one's all right. Uh, I actually quite like Slade's because it's got that sort of weird psychedelic bit in it, which sounds a bit beastly. And you you will laugh at this one. I don't mind E-17s either. I think that's all right. Of
4: course, an absolute classic, isn't it? Stay. Uh, But the argument is, John, that that isn't a Christmas tune. Yeah, but it's got
5: the sort of bells in it that they insert it to put it around the... Yeah, it's very cynical. Those were cynical. Is that
2: E-17's finest song, do you think, John? Or would you go House of Love or maybe Deep?
5: Deep, Deep Deep Down's a good record, actually. Mm, Yeah,
2: I quite like Deep, Deep Down. Yeah. I wouldn't get you to read the lyrics. I wouldn't get Barry to read the lyrics. I think it's quite... Deep, Deep, deep. Deep. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like time to go, doesn't it?
4: Anyway, uh, that'll do. For- Sorry, just before we oh, go, yes. Matt, I've been, I've been doing my arithmetic, and in three years and 23 days, I will have been living in England longer than I lived in Ireland. So mark the day. What <laughs> a celebration? That's when I get the England job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Would I be your assistant? I'd like Phil Neal just applauding in the background.
4: No, because I think you'd want them to do really well. I'd, <laughs> I'd, just, I'd, I'd just be, no. Of course, you can go out for a few pints, lads. Of course. <laughs> just, just the six now. Everyone has to be in bed by 2 a.m. We've a big game tomorrow.
2: <laughs> God, leading by example. Um, <laughs> right, that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Nikki. Thanks, Max. Cheers, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Barry.
4: Thanks, Max.
2: Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sarnison. We'll be back tomorrow after Morocco versus France.
0: This is The Guardian.